Welcome to another episode of the Slam Fast Podcast, where we bring the premier rock concert pregame experience from the parking lot to the podcasting airwaves. I'm Brad. So last week, I mentioned that that would be my last college-era episode. So while that's technically true, there will obviously be shows, uh, subsequent shows that I talk about where I'll go back and reference something um, from college, but, uh, you know, I'm outside of my college years from actually going to shows. So today, I'm going to go back and talk about a genre of music that I have not talked about during this podcast, but was exposed to a lot during college. And that genre of music is alternative slash grunge. So going to college when I did from 91, fall of 91 through the spring of 95, was right in the middle of kind of the alternative slash grunge explosion. So interesting that I started a new chapter of my life, moved away from home, met a bunch of new people, and the musical landscape um, dramatically changed. Really kind of odd. And if you go back to episode one of this podcast where I talk about my top five bands of, of all of the decades from the 70s forward, four of the five from the 90s Um, come right out of grunge slash alternative. So, interesting, um, senior year in high school, graduated and uh, had a bunch of guys uh, go to our cabin for a a long weekend. And I can remember, so this is kind of my first exposure uh, to this type of music. I remember Mike, who's been on the podcast uh, a couple of times, um, bringing... Alice in Chains facelift. So that album was actually released uh, back in August of 90, so um, just before the start of my senior year in high school. And I, I knew nothing about this um, band uh, or this album. So he had seen, I think, the Man in the Box video um, at some point, bought that album and brought it uh, with him on this trip. And I remember listening, he's like, you got to check this out. And he played Man in the Box, and it was like, oh my God, um, uh, that is awesome. I I mean, I loved it almost uh, instantly. Um, Something else that's interesting, so the Temple of the Dog album, which is kind of that, uh, you know, super group of of a lot of these bands that were going to, you know, start to explode, got released uh, mid-April of 91. Um... And don't recall any of that, uh, you know, until all these individual bands started to get bigger and then that album uh, started to get pushed and, and uh, exploded as well. So, you know, fast forward to the fall of 91. So actually over that summer, you know, Skid Row, Slave to the Grind came out. Um, Van Halen, uh, the Fuck album came out. Um, Metallica Black album came out, you know, that fall, Guns N' Roses, uh, The Use Your Illusions came out. So, um, you know, hard rock and, and metal was, was, you know, still still king, you know, and they were, they were uh, putting out some big albums uh, right around that time. Um, but August 91, uh, Pearl Jam 10 came out, and September 24th, 91 Nirvana released Nevermind and you know I don't I guess I don't remember if it was just hearing it from people in the dorm um, obviously MTV started to play the videos you know probably that fall um, and you know did I start just hearing it from from some of the upperclassmen um, when I joined the fraternity you know that type of stuff I again slowly but surely um got exposed to that stuff now there were some bands that i got exposed to um, that had put out stuff prior uh, to me arriving at college so jane's addiction red hot chili peppers didn't really know much about either one of those bands until i got to school Um, got exposed to 
Jane's Addiction, nothing shocking. Uh, that was actually released back in 1988. And then R- Ritual, De Lo Habitual, which was released um, in August of 90. So that was, people had those um, CDs. And then Red Hot Chili Peppers, Mother's Milk, uh, released in uh, August of 89. Um, and then actually Blood Sugar Sex Magic uh, was released uh, in September of 91 as, as well. So started to get exposed to, to some of that stuff. And then I'm throwing this in, I'm not, not sure it fits, um, but the band um, Ministry, um, had released an album called The Land of uh, Rape and Honey back in 1988. And the song um, Stigmata, again, this is maybe more industrial than uh, technically um, grunge or alternative, but it's kind of an interesting story. So, again, some of the stupid stuff that uh, um, actives in a fraternity do uh, to pledges, but I probably heard the song Stigmata a um, hundred times in a row <laughs> over a, over probably about a 12 hour uh, period um, just sitting in a, uh, a room uh, with all the other pledges um, so again I guess you could uh, you know call that uh, call that hazing a vicious mother isn't he yeah he can't do that to our pledges only we can do that to our pledges. Uh, but think about, if you guys know that song, think about hearing that. Um, and I had never heard it before, so I didn't know what it was. Um, but it's, uh, it's ingrained uh, in my head pretty, pretty good. As is the song Bolero, but that's a whole nother story. Um, so, you know, moving along kind of, again, through, through college, um, you know, 1992, so singles, soundtrack came out. Um, loved that album, um, specifically Mother Love Bone um, on that album. Love that uh, uh, Chloe Dancer, Crown of Thorns. Thinks think it's a uh, top five song of the 90s uh, for, for me. Went out and bought the uh, self-titled compilation uh, that they released um, in September of 92 from them. Um, Stone Temple Pilots, so Core came out in September of 92. Love that album. I mean, I, I, again, they get they get categorized in their um, grunge and and alternative, but you know, I just I, I think they're just a hard rock um, band. Um, and then Soul Asylum, uh, which was one of the uh, top five bands for me in the '90s. So Grave Dancers Union released in October of, of '92, 1993. So got exposed to. Uh, the band Sugar, so Bob Mould's um, band, so they actually released uh, Copper Blue, which uh, Craig and I talked about briefly on, on his episode, back on episode 10. But that album came out September 4th of 1992. Um, wasn't exposed to it until 93, uh, for, for whatever reason. Um, but love, love, love that album. Um, you know, the Cranberries... You know, stuff came out. Everybody else is doing it, so why can't we? Uh, March of '93, um, and uh, Candlebox. You know that that came out in July of '93. Uh, Smashing Pumpkins. You know, um, Siamese Dream came out July of '93 as well. Got exposed a little bit to the previous release, Gish, while in school. Uh, but but Doug, um, Siamese Dream, quite a bit. And then you get into 94, and so it's kind of moving away from the, the grunge, and it's more of, uh, you know, there's there's some punk stuff coming out. So Green Day, obviously, um, Dookie coming out in February of 94. Um, the Offspring, uh, Smash coming out in April of 94. Weezer, Blue Album coming out in May of 94. So, you know, that, that side of things. And then, um, you know, again, some more alternative type stuff. Collective Soul, hence allegations and things left unsaid, released in in March of 94. And again, Collective Soul is a top five band of the 90s for me. Oasis, 
So definitely Maybe came out August of 94. Again, top five band for me of the 90s. Um, and then you had Bush. Um, 16 Stone came out in December of 94. So anyway, that that you know collective group of of music again that was all stuff that was that was big um exploded uh, at the time but um was stuff that i was was exposed to and last but not least the band live again one of my top fives from the 90s um as stated uh, during that first first episode so this episode is going to revolve around the live show i saw june 14th 1995 at Charter Hall in Munich, Germany. So, A, what was I doing in Germany um, in the summer of 1995, and how did the live show come about? Well, I'll tell you. So, graduated in, the, in May of 1995, you know, moved out, graduated, went through graduation, drove home. My parents had actually sold the house uh, that we'd been in since 1979 and we're moving into a condo and holly and i helped my parents uh with a with a garage sale um since they were downsizing thinking back on that they sold a lot of records and eight tracks which i just kicked myself uh when thinking about that and why i didn't uh why well, I didn't keep that stuff. But anyway, um, shortly thereafter, packed a U-Haul um, and moved um, to Michigan. So prior to, to starting a job um, in Holly, uh, had another year of grad school to go through, we decided to travel around Europe for a month. So that trip went from May 29th of 1995 through June 28th of 1995 and we visited the Netherlands, Belgium, Switzerland, Austria, Germany, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, and Finland and then made our way back to the Netherlands uh, to fly back to Detroit. So you'll notice some interesting uh, countries on there. You know, we didn't go to, we didn't go to um, England, we didn't go to Spain, we didn't go to Italy. Um, didn't go to France, you know, a lot of the, the big ones. And that was by design. We wanted to kind of hit some of the other ones and, and vowed to, uh, go back. Uh, we haven't been back, but we'll, we'll get back and, and, uh, see some of those other countries, um, at some point in the future. So music related notes while we were over there. So interesting, Michael Jackson's history compilation, um, and Pink Floyd's uh, live album Pulse were released right before we left. I, I can just remember. I mean, there, the advertisements were everywhere for those those albums. I mean, it was it was huge. And I think when we were over there, um, the uh, video for Michael uh, and Janet Jackson "Scream" got released, and some somehow we saw it. I, I remember. And, um, not sure how that how that happened. Um, but it was just, it was overwhelming, uh, the amount of promotion they had going on over there. Um, and then as mentioned in, in episode 29, uh, the year-end 2020 recap and talking about shows that uh, I was scheduled to see, talked about Bon Jovi and, and really being a regret of not being able to see them. But they were touring stadiums uh, over in Europe. Uh, it was technically the These Days tour and they were there from May 23rd, 95 to July 8th of 95, which is hilarious because that's about the time frame that we were there. Um, and we, we saw posters uh, for that uh, tour uh, everywhere. And again, as I mentioned previously, our itinerary was just off. Otherwise, we might have been able to, to check that out. So that would have been that would have been cool. So my background with live. So. Throwing Copper came out April 26th of 1994. Um, I guess I don't know uh, when I first heard them. I think maybe you know one of my my roommates probably bought it. Um, Selling the Drama was the the first single, so I'm sure I heard that. Um, 
you know, ended up getting it, um, and then at some point went back and picked up Mental Jewelry, which was their uh, album prior to that, which was released on New Year's Eve of 91. Um, and then they actually had a, um, you know, an independent type album called The Death of a Dictionary, which I'm not familiar with at all. But also remember, so the summer of 94, so after The Throwing Copper came out, um, they were on Woodstock. Um, and one of my roommates, I remember I stayed uh, in Des Moines uh, over that summer. So August of 94, um, Paul, uh, one of my roommates, ended up getting it. Right, It was pay-per-view um, type of deal. But interesting, going back and looking at the the lineup um, and pulling out some of these bands uh, that I just talked about being on that bill. So Friday, um, August 12th of 94, so Live, Collective Soul, and Candlebox were on that bill. Um, August 13th, 94, Blind Melon and the Cranberries were there. And then August 14th, uh, Green Day, Porno for Pyros, and Red Hot Chili Peppers uh, were on that bill. So that, that Green Day show infamous uh show the the sod fight um show which i actually just went back and, and watched and that was that was a riot um watching so um fast forwarding a little bit so live was on saturday night live january 21st 1995 performed by alone and selling the drama you know and going back and, and watching that i i don't know there was something off um with the the sound or, or something, they didn't uh, didn't sound that great um, during that appearance. But then, uh, less than a month later, they did MTV Unplugged. Wow, um, went back and and listened to that, uh, preparing for this, and and that was that was amazing. So you know, interesting formula when I kind of think about live. Um, a little bit uh, the formula that they had so mellow intros mellow verses um, and then the songs kick in uh, at the chorus um, and great backing vocals uh, from the guitar player um, Chad Taylor so um, and again generally those background vocals you know occurring kind of during the outro so that was the formula for them I mean there are a couple times where they flipped it where the song would start off um, upbeat and then you know kind of uh, back back off um, and, and get mellower, but again the, the main formula um, mellow intros uh, and then kick in at the at the chorus and the formula worked. So I don't recall exactly how I even knew <laughs> that live was over there. So our trip. Um, you know, we would spend, you know, quite a bit of time, you know, sometimes we wouldn't spend, you know, more than a day or two at a place, but um, some of the places we would stay for a week and have kind of a base um, camp and then, you know, shoot off and and visit some smaller areas, um, you know, in those countries where we were. So one of those situations we did that was in Munich, uh, Germany. So we stayed there for uh, probably a week, uh, and then shot off and did uh, did some day trips and and that type of thing. So one way or another, I saw it in a uh, entertainment guide or or something that they were going to be there. Um, I I can't even remember what we had to do to um, to buy tickets for it. But the so the venue Charter Hall um, was a live music venue, um, capacity of about three thousand. And it was on the site of the former Ream Airport in Munich. Um, hold flea markets there, raves, um, and concerts uh, were, were held uh, in the former charter uh, terminal uh, of, that, of that airport. And again, that was there from the early 90s until 96, I think, when it got uh, demolished. But what, one interesting note about that venue is that it's the it's the location of Nirvana's last concert, uh, which was held on March 1st of 1994, uh, at the same place where we ended up seeing live. So again, it was just basically an empty, um, 
hangar. I mean, there were, I, I don't recall there being any seating at all um, in there. Um, and so we had to take a couple of different trains, had to um, get off and, and ended up dropping us off. <laughs> really, in the, this train stop was in the middle of nowhere. Um, and luckily there were other people on there that were going to the show so we could follow them. But I mean, we had to walk a ways. I mean, it was, to put it lightly, it was a little bit dicey. Um, but here is Live's set list. The Dam at Otter Creek, Selling the Drama, All Over You, Pain Lies on the Riverside, Pillar of Davidson, Waitress, I Alone, Freaks, Shit Town, TBD, Iris, and then close the regular set with Operation Spirit, The Tyranny of Tradition. And then they encored Waterboy, Lightning Crashes, and White Discussion. So interesting so again this album had come out in april of 94 so this was over a year later that we were seeing them but so they played three songs off of mental jewelry 11 songs off of throwing copper and then one unreleased song if you recognize the song freaks in that set list that would show up on their uh, subsequent release which was kind of cool to to hear a new song and obviously they did not play anything off of that uh, independent release uh, that i mentioned uh, earlier. So I did some research and tried to find some footage or some audio from the actual show we saw and could not, but I did see that about four months prior to us seeing them live, they were in Munich, um, actually about a week after the Unplugged taping, which is interesting, um, and they played um, at a venue called, and it's Alabama Hall. <laughs> which I don't know if that's right, but let's just call it Al Hall uh, for short, um, in Munich, so February 20th of 1995, and they did a, um, it was aired on, on TV over there, um, played 10 songs, Damn It, Otter Creek, All Over You, Shit Town, Selling the Drama, Pillar of Davidson, Lightning Crashes, I Alone, Waitress and White Discussion, so obviously heavily promoting throwing copper, um, but this is actually very, very cool. So, um, damn it, Otter Creek, they let off with here. It also kicked off our show, so this is probably very similar to what we saw. Here's a little bit of All Over You. Oh 
Here's some of Selling the Drama. Into love, the God. Into fear, the flame. Into burn, the crowd it is a name. Into right, the wrong. Into me. Here's how lightning crashes sounded. I alone.
all these riddles that you burn all come running back to you. All these rhythms that you had, only love can save me now. All these riddles that you burn. So what do I remember about this show? Um, so again, as I described, it was basically in a hangar, um, no seating. So Holly is uh, shorter in stature, and um, a, when I got in there and saw what <laughs> what we were dealing with, I'm like, oh man, this is gonna be this is gonna be tough. So anyway, we ended up going in the far back, um, basically, you know, I think you know, where we could lean up against the the wall in the back. I mean, again, it wasn't, you know, a huge place, so it wasn't like we couldn't see. You know, we kept, there was a distance between us and the back of the, the regular um, standing room uh, people. Um, so we could see everything um, um, pretty good. You know, again, it was, it was cool. It was interesting to see a show um, overseas. This is uh, the first and only show that I've seen abroad. So I've seen... Uh, concerts in Canada but that's not um, yes it's another country but it's not the same as seeing something uh, overseas so can remember you know I mean the floor um, jumping um, non-stop uh, pretty much through throughout most of the songs uh, that lent themselves to that so they were into it um, thought they thought the band sounded good um, and again it was cool seeing almost the entire album uh, performed live. So on this trip of Europe, each night when we'd um, you know call it a day and we'd be you know at a hostel or a, um, somebody's uh, home, we stayed in some some people's homes. Uh, we'd write a diary of what we did um, that day and put together a, a scrapbook um, you know for that for that trip. So here's here's what I wrote. Um, about that show. So we went back to the room, washed some clothes, ate sandwiches, and got ready for the live concert. Even though we didn't know where we were going, we made it to the old airport. We arrived five minutes before the show started, so that must have been, uh, we must have really cut it close um, with regards to that. There were approximately 2,500 people there, uh, consisting of Munich's finest, the light show was elaborate and it was extremely loud. Thank God we had cotton in our ears, so somehow we had thought about bringing cotton uh, to use as earplugs. Overall, it was a fun experience, even though Holly had trouble seeing Goodnight. So anyway, kind of interesting to go back uh, into my, um, what, 23-year-old self and, and read something about, uh, about the show that, uh, that we saw. So moving on to the band on the bill spotlight. So I'm not going to get into uh, lives album specifically. Again, normally I don't like to talk about anything uh, that was released after the show uh, that I saw. So if I were to talk about them, I'd only be able to talk about two albums um, that they had released. So I've seen live uh, several times, um, and when we get to the, one of those shows, I'll go back and kind of look at their catalog up at, up to that point and and get into a little bit more detail of their material so i thought it'd be interesting to talk a little bit more about bands hard rock bands metal bands rock bands that um went down the alternative or went down the grunge path and the the albums that they released um when that style of music was 
was king. So I, you know, I did some searching online. You know, I could have come up with probably a handful just on my own, uh, but thought it'd be interesting to look at a a list. Um, haven't looked at a list since one of those earlier Rush episodes. Um, I think that I pulled something from Rolling Stone. So anyway, I found something from VH1.com, which is from December 7th of 2013. And the article was titled, Go With The Even Flow, Metal's 10 Biggest Grunge Makeovers. So I thought, okay, that, that might be an interesting list to look at. So, um, so they list these 10 albums, 10 bands and 10 albums that were released, but they don't really talk about them specifically. There is a little blurb at the end, which I'll read, uh, but here's the list that they put together. So Warrant, Belly to Belly, which was released in 1996. Rush Counterparts, released in 1993. So that one, I don't, <laughs> I don't really get. Uh, Motley Crue, self-titled, released in 1994. Kiss, Carnival of Souls, um, released in October of 97, but recorded uh, in 95 um, prior to the uh, reunion. Def Leppard, Slang, released in 1996. Metallica, Load, also released in 1996. Anthrax, Sound of White Noise, released in 1993. L.A. Guns, Vicious Circle, released in 1994. Dokken, Shadow Life, released in 1997. And rounding out their top 10, Queensryche, Here in the New Frontier. So here's the blurb um, out, of this, out of this article. Again, they didn't get into the specifics of those albums or why they were on the list. But So here this reads, As Charles Darwin so famously pointed out way back when, a big part of survival is adapting to your environment. So when Nirvana's Nevermind was released in 1991 and threatened to wipe out metal for good, it was time for a few changes. Some bands went on hiatus or even disbanded. Others began to experiment with their sound, incorporating grunge and alternative influences. The result was a mixed bag. A few albums were actually pretty successful, others not so much. The great grunge explosion of the early 90s and the metal community's reaction to it made fans, critics, and even the artists themselves recognize that you can't just change who you are overnight. But from glam metal bands like Warrant, to thrash metal like Metallica, to progressive metal like Queensryche and Rush, they certainly tried. Here's a list of metal's 10 biggest grunge makeovers, the artist who just said, F it, if you can't beat them, Throw on the flannel and join them. So, going back and looking at that list, um, you know, it's interesting. You know, Warrant also had an album called Ultraphobic from 1995 that was kind of in the same vein, so I'm not sure why they chose Belly to Belly over Ultraphobic. Um, Ultraphobic came out first, so I, I would think that that would be closer to, to what they're talking about. As I mentioned, the Rush counterparts doesn't make, doesn't make any sense to me. Um, again, I was uh, in the middle of, of you know my fandom with with Rush and bought. Remember buying that the day it was released and never never thought of it as a grunge or alternative album. Motley Crue, self-titled. So I remember Hooligans Holiday being released, um, knowing that they had a new singer, and I didn't know who uh, John Karabi was at that point. So really not, I, I, I didn't get that album at that time. Um, wasn't familiar with it until, I don't know, 20 years ago maybe. Um, but I enjoy it now. You know, Kiss Carnival of Souls was interesting. Obviously an interesting time for the band. Um, you know, I can remember um, getting a, uh, a bootleg copy of that. Um, actually probably the, the summer right before the uh, reunion tour started so in 96 um, somebody that I was working with um, had a means of getting this stuff on uh, off of the uh, the internet send it to the internet um, and onto a cassette tape so I had a bootleg copy of it for a while but um, you know enjoyed it um, but again getting released in 97 I mean it was 
bad timing. So now there's an album coming out from them with a different lineup and no makeup and just, again, confusing, confusing time for the band. Um, Def Leppard Slang, I, I can remember actually hearing, I think, the song Slang and, and for sure the song Work It Out on the radio. And actually I enjoyed um, both of those songs. Metallica Load, not sure I would lump that in here. Yeah, they changed uh, their sound. Um, but, I mean, they had gotten away from thrash on the previous album, so not really sure why that's on here. Um, Anthrax, Sound of White Noise, again, John Bush coming in and, and lending his vocals to this album. I can remember hearing, I think I remember hearing only the song only on the radio um, and digging it. L.A. Guns, Vicious Circle, um, I'm not familiar with that album at all. Um, Doc and Shadow Life, so, again, interesting that they chose that that came out in 97 versus Dysfunctional that came out in 95, I think. Uh, Dysfunctional has has more of a grunge sound than Shadow Life. Um, and Queensryche, interesting too, that they, they chose here in the Now Frontier, released in 97 versus Promised Land that came out um, in 94. Um, again, not not so much um, grungy, but you know maybe alternative sounding. I can remember hearing um, some of that promised land stuff on the radio as well. But anyway, kind of interesting um, looking at that list. Um, if anyone else out there can think of anything else, um, I'll be posting some of this stuff on the Facebook page. Please uh, please add some um, and remind me of some that I'm, that I'm missing. Now, you know, something else that, that came out um, right before my senior year or as my senior year in college started was REM's Monster. So that, I mean, that was a, a complete departure of what they were doing. Um, you know, remember uh, hearing What's the Frequency, Kenneth, on the radio and loving it, um, buying that album and, and loving that whole thing, actually. Um, and then something else, actually, that I think that list missed was Skid Row's Subhuman Race, uh, released in March of 95, can remember buying that on the on release day, um, strictly based on how much I loved Slave to the Grind. Um, was really looking forward to it. Again, there's some good stuff on there. Um, My Enemy, Fire Sign, uh, Eileen, Into Another, and Breaking Down are good songs. But that, you know, to me that had a real uh, kind of alternative grungy type feel to it um, as well. So I just realized I made a glaring omission when I was describing some of the bands that I was getting into when I got to college. And one of the big ones from Seattle, Soundgarden. So Bad Motorfinger came out September 24th, 1991 as well. Uh, I remember getting exposed to that that fall. And then obviously Super Unknown came out in March of 94, uh, which was just huge. So, again, Soundgarden, one of the big ones from Seattle, was another band that I was exposed to. So now on to the Slamfest tip of the week. So here is a page out of the aforementioned diary from our Europe trip. And it's uh, the last two paragraphs of June 13th, 1995, the day before the live concert that I talked about. So this is... Holly writing this. Feeling the need to do something very Bavarian, we headed to the Hofbra House, one of the oldest beer gardens in the world. The whole place was a riot. As we walked in, there was a small Oompa band on stage, complete with Leiderhausen, those green and leather suspender short outfits. Also, there were waiters and waitresses dressed up in costume and leaders of beer everywhere. We finally found a seat in a room they had just opened up. The poor waitress for this whole room. She had to serve all the hundred people who sat down simultaneously. She was pretty strong though. She carried about 10 liters of beer at once, five on each arm. Wow. We realized we were in a room filled almost exclusively with Americans, mostly high school students. After getting our liters of Hofbra Premium Hell, what a name, we went to find some seats in the main section where the band was playing. As luck would have it, there were two seats at the end of a small table that were open. 
We sat down next to a group of three men in their 60s who were very German. They seemed to think we were pretty funny and repeatedly raised their liters of beer to us during the drinking songs. We even heard the Ein Spei Gerstaffa song, one, two, down the hatch, I learned in my high school German class. They even gave me a pen as a souvenir. Brad noticed that at both ends of the room, there were iron gate type of things that had metal beer steins locked into them, so the people can keep their personal glass safe until they get to the Hofbrauhaus. house. That was pretty funny. We were pretty tipsy after I finished my one liter and Brad polished off his two. We are headed home to crash very quickly. So anyway, that was a it was a riot, um, and I've got some pictures actually that I'll that I'll post. But you know, <laughs> sitting, you know, beer is a language of of the world. I mean, I knew zero German and and sat there with those three guys for um, several hours drinking. And oh, honey, come here, will you? I need two more glasses for the girls. And also bring a pitcher of beer every seven minutes till somebody passes out, and then bring one every ten minutes, right? <laughs> and listening to the, listening to the band, so good times. So now to close out the episode with a which side are you on? And I'm going to cover lives. Throwing Copper, released April 26, 1994, produced by Jerry Harrison and Live. Jerry Harrison, actually the guitarist, keyboard for the Talking Heads, uh, produced uh, Live's previous album, Mental Jewelry, and some of their subsequent albums as well. He also has credits on Crash Test Dummies, The Verve Pipe, Big Head Todd and the Monsters, and Kenny Wayne Shepherd. Throwing Copper reached number one on the Billboard 200, and was actually number 60 uh, for the entire decade and went eight times platinum. So when I looked at this originally, I mean, I wasn't gonna do metal jewelry, so wanted to do throwing copper. Um, it's obviously uh, hit heavy on side one. So I actually saw online that there is a two LP vinyl release that it looks like came out uh, in 2019 uh, believe in the UK so two albums four sides and the way that they uh, broke it down uh, I thought lent itself a little bit better um, to this exercise so actually side four the one that I saw side four actually had the untitled uh, song uh, which actually uh, has since been named uh, horse and then I saw another version that had some um, other songs on it from some of their uh, later albums which didn't make any sense to me so really i'm i'm looking at three sides uh in this in this particular case so breakdown for side one leads off with the dam at otter creek so you know not really what you would necessarily expect as a as an opener i mean it kind of mellow has kind of a slow build again kind of an odd song but again cool clean guitar riff uh ed's vocal uh is great and again slowly building uh in intensity um and then ed's voice rhythm section kicks in a bit uh and then it and then it really kicks in which uh which is great but again kind of an interesting uh song to lead off the album interesting song to lead off the uh, the show uh, that we saw as well track two selling the drama so this was the first single, um, reached uh, number 43 on the charts, uh, was released in February of 94. Acoustic intro uh, riff sounds great, uh, mid-tempo, great bass line, uh, kicks in during the bridge and then into the chorus. Uh, great floor tom work uh, by the drummer during the chorus as well, and then great uh, backing vocals at the end, we won't be scarred like that. Uh, times two um and then get so get used to this comment about good backing vocals during the outros track three i alone second single reached number 38 released in may of 1994 uh, another clean guitar intro with just the lead vocal uh drumstick on the on the side of the snare as it starts to kick in um you know to leave you there by yourself chain to fate um you know, kind of that uh, 
bridge pre-chorus uh, and then kicks into the infamous rocking chorus great underlying riff uh, during the chorus and again amazing backing vocals uh, by Chad Taylor uh, prior to the breakdown the I alone love you I alone tempt you uh, great breakdown oh no we took it back too far only love can save us now cool cool part and then again the outro I alone love you, I alone tempt you, I alone love you, uh, as Ed does some vocal interjections uh, as that song uh, closes out. Awesome, awesome song. And then Iris, so mellow intro, kicks into a great call and response uh, type riff. Uh, Chorus, great drumming, great backing vocals again. The Felix of your truth will always break it, and the Iris of your eyes will always shake it. Again, great breakdown. Uh, until I see their flags. So that closes out side one uh, of this double LP. Side two kicks off with Lightning Crashes. Third single uh, reached number 12, released in September of 94, so just after their uh, uh, Woodstock performance. Again, mellow intro, just guitar strumming and the lead vocal slowly building with intensity. Uh, chorus, you know, bass comes in. Oh no, I feel it coming back again like a rolling thunder chasing the wind. Forces pulling from the center of the earth again. I can feel it. Great, great lyrics. Uh, verse 3, percussion actually comes in as the song builds more. Uh, chorus, again, great drumming. And then the breakdown um, and then outro, uh, last run through the full chorus, great backing vocals uh, with Ed's uh, interjections. Again, amazing, amazing song. Track two on side two, top. So upbeat rocker, chorus, pick me up and put me on the ground. Set me up and spin me all around. Again, only two minutes and 40 seconds long. So uh, quick song, outro, great backing vocals uh, once again. Uh, as the song closes out. Track three, All Over You. So fourth single, reached number 33, which again is interesting that that this song actually charted higher than Selling the Drama uh, and I Alone. Uh, This was released in December of 94. Great riff. Uh, They use this as an opener um, these days. Um, Verse, mellow guitar and vocals. Again, kicks in, All Over You, All Over Me. Great breakdown, again, kind of a flange effect on the on the guitars. Um, great, great song. And then track four, Shit Town. So mellow acoustic intro again, drumming and vocals kick off the song. Uh, the Crackheads, they live down the street from me. Um, you know, great, uh, great line. Um, bridge starts to kick things up a little bit. And we don't bother anyone, we keep to ourselves. Again, tempo change in the chorus. Gotta live, gotta live, gotta live in shit town. Uh, cool breakdown. Um, outro, our town, shit town. Great backing vocals once again. And then side two closes out with TBD. Cool bass line intro, cool mellow groove. Great verse, phrasing, uh, chorus. This is how I'll go out tonight, dressed in blue by the book tonight. Uh, again, then kicks in with about a minute to go um, in the song. So again, a mellower song, but, but kicks in there at the end. And then side three leads off with stage. Again, fast, <laughs> really upbeat song. Not a huge fan of it. Cool breakdown though um, during the song. Come to this, I can't come to you. Don't do this, wake me tonight, come to this. And then actually a guitar solo. Um, during the song, which is good. Um, track two, Waitress, um, kicks in right from the get-go. Great riff, <laughs> great lyrics in the first verse. Come on, baby, leave some change behind. She was a bitch, but I don't care. She brought our food out on time and wore a funky barrette in her hair. So, again, everybody's good enough for some change, some fucking change. And then there, there's some whistling um, during the outro, which, which is a little bit odd. And then the uh, side uh, and the album itself closes out with two six-minute-plus songs. Pillar of Davidson, a mellow song, chanting during the bridge, great chorus, um, great backing vocals over the regular chorus. Again, pretty cool, just uh, 
just a bit too too long and then track four white discussion was actually the fifth single released from this only charted at number 71 uh, released in april of 95 so um, again prior to to us seeing them and again not surprised that it only charted at number 71 this is doesn't make any sense um why this was a was a single kind of reminds me of the first track you know mellow intro builds into a cool riff um look where all this talking got us baby but again I, it, it's just not set up not set up for the for the radio so not sure why it was released as a single um and then i'll just touch on the last track again untitled originally but has since been given a name uh of horse kind of country acoustic feel to it uh chorus really reminds me of uh, 70s rolling stones um so interesting uh interesting song so if i got a look at the way i broke this down side one side two and side three um you know, at the end of the day, uh, it comes down to side one versus side two. Again, there's some good songs on on the third side, um, but not as good as side one and side two. And so I think I'm going to give it to um, side two. Um, Lightning Crashes, I mean, I know it was overplayed, but such a great song. Um, All Over You, great rocker, and Shit Town, great, great rocker. Um, you know, you can't, can't deny selling the drama and I alone. Um, Iris is a good, good track as well, uh, from that first side, but I'll give the edge to side two over side one and side three of this vinyl two LP release of lives throwing copper. So before I close out this episode, I wanted to share my second Apple Podcasts review that I've received titled More Than Just the Music. Brad does a fantastic job with this podcast and emphasizes that concert attendance is not just seeing the band or hearing the songs, but it's the experiences you have and share with others. Five stars. And this is from Pimpin' Ho. Thank you very much. That uh, brings me up to seven ratings, all five stars. So I appreciate that very much. Did anyone see live in concert on the Throwing Copper Tour? If so, when and where? And what were your thoughts, memories, or stories from that show? What are some of your favorite alternative slash grunge bands from the early to mid-90s? And what are some of your favorite alternative slash grunge inspired albums from rock, hard rock, or metal bands? Last but not least, what are your thoughts on Throwing Copper, the 2LP version? Side 1, Side 2, or Side 3? Let us know your thoughts by emailing us at slamfestpodcast at gmail.com or request to join our private Facebook page at Slamfest Podcast. Thanks for listening. Until next time. (laughs) 